You're listening to Partners United on Gender, brought to you by the Shehu Musa Yaradua Foundation, with support from the MacArthur Foundation. Hello and welcome to the Gender Justice podcast series. And the podcast series is brought to you by the Shehu Musa Yaradua Foundation, which was founded in 1998. And since inception, it has been at the forefront of promoting good governance, national unity, and social justice in Nigeria. My name is Kemi Okeyudo, the Executive Program Manager. On today's episode, we will be talking about breaking the culture of silence through technology. And with me, I have two guests, Ms. Omomi Ogunrutimi. Omomi is a multidisciplinary gender justice advocate and a legal practitioner. She is also the founder of Gender Mobile Initiative an organization adopting a comprehensive approach and leveraging technology to advance gender equality and eliminate gender-based violence in Nigeria. And my second guest is no other than Ms. Lewa Ejila. She's a program officer on the Gender Justice Program at the Shil Musayadwa Foundation. She's passionate about reducing and ultimately ending the culture of silence on sexual gender-based violence in Nigeria. Welcome, Momi. Welcome, Lewa. Thank you. Thank you, Kemi. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, too, for accepting to be here. So we'll set the ball rolling rather quickly. We hear about the culture of silence as one of the enablers for sexual gender-based violence. Mommy, can you please um, tell our audience on what what is culture of silence? I think I'll just give a personal point of view and, of course, from what happens every day. I would like to describe or I would describe culture of silence as the action or reaction of a community of people by virtue of their unwritten code in a way that does not mention discuss or acknowledge a current state of affairs or a particular um, given subject matter. When I say community, of course, what it means is that these people are bonded together by the identity. It could be by the way they dress. It could be by the language they speak. It could be by their total way of life. So as far as it's unwritten, it's unspoken, people just pick it and they get acculturated into that process. So as far as culture of silence is concerned, it's unspoken. There is no law that says that people have to be silent about a particular thing. But because of our culture, people just decide not to acknowledge the fact that something exists or because of people's disposition to it by way of or as a result of several factors, several social identities, such as gender, such as age, such as social status, you just decide to keep quiet about it. So that's what the culture of silence is all about. Or that's what I would describe the culture of silence to be. Thanks, Mommy. You've given us examples of the types, what culture of silence could look like if you're in a situation. Lewa, do you have any other thing to add on to this? I think the culture of silence describes the behavior of a group of people. It can be large, it can be small, it can be professional. Generally, do not talk about something. And it's not like it is written down anywhere, why they don't speak about it or why they are afraid to air their opinion about it. It is just known to people why they don't talk about it. I feel like generally we are taught not to speak for ourselves. There's that fear to speak for ourselves or for others. 
So it's like a culture. If anything relating to, and for this purpose, sexual gender-based violence, it's a hush-hush. We don't talk about it. Mommy, can you give us three examples from your um, experience on how the culture of silence has contributed to sexual gender-based violence? I would say that examples are not far-fetched. First, because... I am a survivor of sexual and gender-based violence. Second, because I've been a part of the journey of many victims and survivors beyond, you know, just collapsing their experiences into summary data. And I would share an example of my personal experience at the age of 14 when I experienced a bout of sexual abuse. And I recall that night when it happened, of course, the perpetrator was a trusted neighbor, and that further buttresses or corroborates the fact that perpetrators are overwhelmingly people that we know. I recall that that night I'd moved swiftly as fast as I could to talk to my mom about it after it happened. And when my mom saw me as a medical practitioner, I mean, my mom is well-educated. My dad is too. But that night my dad was in a critical state. So my mom asked what happened, and I narrated the whole gory experience. Of course, she was angry. She was bitter. But she also told me that this has to be kept secret because she needed to preserve my sense of socialization so that people don't laugh at me, the social stigma, and a lot of other factors. And to even shock you, Kemi, she had mentioned that I should not mention to one of my siblings because we understood then at that time that if my brother heard about it, we couldn't imagine what could have been the outcome of such an encounter. So I had to keep it to my chest. My mom provided me with the necessary support system. I was able to access medical help, but we couldn't go to the nearest police station to report because of the stigma involved. And of course, my parents weren't ready for the long walk, the old criminal justice administrative system at that time. Sadly, my best friend at that time experienced it after I did, and she lost her life in the course of procuring an unsafe abortion of the rape incident that happened. I kept quiet about mine. I couldn't share because of the culture of silence. And perhaps if I had spoken about it at that time, it probably would have avoided or prevented some other patterns of sexual harassment or assault happening to my childhood best friend. But she lost her life and she's not alive today to even tell her story. So that's just to give you a critical example of what the culture of silence looks like and how this can further enable violence to thrive. Another example I'd like to give is the story of Sandra, which of course is a pseudonym, one of the students we've interacted closely with in the course of our work in environment of learning. Sandra's academic survivor was dependent on meeting the sexual demands of her professor. She even still managed to speak about it, but of course in confidence to her best friend. And when she shared her experience with some other friends, they questioned our gods to even want to seek redress. Now, that's to tell you the extent of the culture of silence that's pervaded everywhere, that when people even manage to speak about it, 
persons question their God. And for people who have also experienced sexual abuse, any pattern of sexual abuse, that they didn't bother to talk about it. In solidarity with the abuser, sometimes Stockholm Syndrome sets in and they also question the gut of other people who are willing to speak out. Now, that talks or speaks to the depth of this culture of silence. So culture of silence will, is there to enable sexual and gender-based violence to thrive more because what happens is perpetrators are not held accountable. And of course, we know that when there is no accountability, it gives people the leeway to do whatever it is that they want to do. And I would also say at this point that there is actually a growing body of research or literature to support the fact that 80% of people perpetrate sexual abuse or gender-based violence as serial harassers or repeat offenders, if you choose to call it, if you choose to use that nomenclature. By stopping repeat offenders, we would be achieving 59% prevention of sexual and gender-based violence. But the culture of silence continues to make this drive until we address the culture of silence it might be difficult for us to actually hold perpetrators accountable because people would not muster the resolve or the courage to come forward to report cases because of the climate. Lewa, um, I know you work with the Sheo Musayaradwa Foundation. Now let's get to the nitty gritty of it. How has the foundation used technology to address the culture of silence. The Foundation Gender Justice Program has a web-based whistleblowing platform. The platform enables students and individuals in the university communities in Nigeria to report cases of sexual and gender-based violence and also seek justice from sexual abuse and harassment without fear of intimidation and recrimination. The platform receives reports on sexual abuse and harassment from survivors within these institutions. These reports are monitored and analyzed and a case manager is assigned to every case reported and these cases are managed. Also in addressing the culture of silence, the foundation is using advocacy messaging and messages on sexual and gender-based violence, which are deployed on the foundation's social media pages and websites. These advocacy messaging are deployed in form of um, flashcards, video vignettes, and infographics. Furthermore, we're using technology to motivate um, citizens and students to take action in advocating for gender justice awareness campaigns, especially safeguarding measures to prevent sexual abuse and harassment from occurring in workspaces and tertiary institutions. Whistleblowing platform is used to equip people with tools to drive social change as regards sexual harassment and abuse and ultimately break the culture of silence in Nigeria. The foundation is currently amplifying the voices of young women and girls within workspace to become change agents on gender equality and also speak up for gender equality within the Nigerian space. Thank you. So the foundation has the whistleblowing platform that is on www.genderjustice.org.ng. Yes. Yeah. For community members of the tertiary institutions to report cases of sexual harassment or any form of violation on the campuses in Nigeria. That's interesting. Mumi, being the founder of Gender Mobile Initiative, can you tell us 
our gender mobile has used has leveraged on technology to advance gender equality and eliminate um, gender-based violence? I would say that as an organization, one of our key strategies is to leverage accessible technology to advance gender equality and also eliminate sexual and gender-based violence. And we kicked off with a call center infrastructure in form of a 247 helpline in 2017. And within one year of setting up the call center infrastructure, the data we retrieved from the call center portrayed environment of learning as the den of, you know, sexual and gender-based violence. And that was why we moved into campus communities to see how we could further leverage technology to address patterns of sexual assault. And in the last three years, I would say we've been able to deploy accessible technology in form of a mobile app tool for members of the campus community to be able to report cases with the highest degree of confidentiality. And I I did mention earlier that silence is a patriarchal tool of oppression because oppression is actually on a continuum. People don't speak out because of fear, because of reprisals, and because of intimidation and because of the climate. But with the technology tool that we have, we've been able to create a virtual safe space where people can also hear out what they feel, share their experiences of sexual assault, and also report to institutions. And like I did mention earlier about um, culture of silence emboldening perpetrators of sexual assault, we've also been able to leverage technology to promote accountability because it's really important that in our response or prevention efforts to sexual and gender-based violence, we put in place accountability structures. So for us, with technology, we're able to also ensure that institutions balance accountability with transparency. Another thing we've been able to also leverage technology to achieve is provide access to information. We have institutions of higher learning with anti-sexual harassment policies that students don't even know that such policies exist, partly because availability does not also mean the same thing as accessibility. For some institutions of higher learning, they sell some of these policy documents. And at the beginning of every session, students in the course of struggling to pay school fees prioritize what they're spending money on. I'm sure that buying policy documents is probably at the lower rung of the ladder for them. But with these technology platforms, we can put policies of institutions, safeguarding policies, gender policy of institutions for students and other members of the campus community to access. Also, in terms of providing people with information on how to report, how to access help, how to provide support to their colleagues who experience sexual harassment, we've also been able to leverage technology to promote active learning in that regard through an interactive model. These are really interesting ways that we've been able to leverage technology, and we hope that we can continue to innovate in a way that people get acclimatized to this evolving pattern of responding to sexual and gender-based violence in the spaces. Your app, is it user-friendly? Yes. Our mobile app is user-friendly. 
and also our other technology platforms are user-friendly. In terms of user-friendly, I'll take it to mean something that is culturally appropriate, something that is accessible. In environments of learning, for example, yes, we take into cognizance um, the diverse groups on campus from persons who are um, probably not that technology savvy. I imagine, for example, that members of faculty and staff, some of them might not be technology savvy. There are step-by-step guide that people can actually use to access the platform. We also have an e-channel line where people do not have access to internet connection can actually reach out to report cases. We also have the web hub which has a chat interface where people can also access a range of services. Perhaps they want to speak to a counselor and perhaps they even need help in terms of us calling them over the phone. They could actually click on a button on our web app that's separate from the mobile app and they could access range of services. And we also provide information based referral for services that people need to access that we are not able to provide because we do not have the human resource. We're able to connect them to such service. Lewa, what about the platform from the gender justice platform? How user-friendly is it? It's actually very user-friendly as anybody can have access to the, the platform. We try to improve our inclusivity procedures so that anybody, even people living with disabilities, can also have access to the platform without any guidance as the platform interface is built in a way that once you go to the page you can have access to it with ease okay what lessons have you learned from personally and through your organizations on technology as an interface to breaking the culture of silence in terms of responding to sexual and gender-based violence Technology should never be a substitute. It should always be a complement to what exists. So having said that, I would say that a lot of lessons are bound. First is that technology can be leveraged to get done a lot of things we struggle to get done manually. And I'll give a critical example. So for example, in environments of learning, um, when we support institutions to develop their anti-sexual harassment policy, one of their implementation strategies is always to probably organize periodic sensitization programs, town hall meetings, where members of the campus community come together to talk about these issues and sensitize them on emergent issues. And I see that there is no facility that has, there's no institution of higher learning that has like a 15,000, I think 15,000 15, is even like an aspiration. That's quite ambitious. I would say 5,000 all capacity. So what happens is automatically you leave out some people when you need to do a physical convening. So, but with technology, you can promote active learning and even optimize outcomes for people within the comfort of their rooms to access information, depending on whatever information you want to provide them with. Another thing that we've also learned as an organization in the course of leveraging technology, based on our experience, is that you need to involve the community in designing whatever technology intervention you're providing. And I'll give another example. When we were designing the Campus PAL tool, we just came up with what we thought the community needed until we had the town hall meeting at Ticket State University, yeah. 
And during that interaction, students shared their experiences. The, the management of the institution was right there in the hall. And new students talked about the fact that a lot of times they are vulnerable because institutions do not have onboarding platforms for them. So in search of trying to get information on how to settle in on campus, on how to navigate their way around campus, how to access hostel accommodation, they get vulnerable and get violated by their peers or by even hostel admins and people like that just because they lack information. So we, we, we felt the need, depending on how you see, whether it's, it's a proximate course or remote course, but we found a way to actually integrate this on the platform by creating like an open forum where people can ask questions about how to settle in on campus, where we can put information and all of that. Now, we got that because at some point we had to interact with that community. So we had to go back to the developer to say, you know what? Yes, this is outside our scope of work, but it's equally important. And we also took from them the kind of reporting system that environment of learning or environment characterized by power asymmetry, the kind of reporting system that they need. So that also gave impetus to the feature on information escrow where people can store up whatever information or report they want to make because at that time they're scared. But once there's another person who also has a similar report, that can probably match them and you that way you know that you're not alone. So I, I think this way we've really learned that there is no technology innovation that can really work or address the key issues without bringing the end users on board as equal partners. Lewa, what are the lessons learned from the Shio Museo Edwa Foundation? What I said Omaomi's point, I will say student involvement in the process. It's very key that we keep engaging the students and seeking their opinion on how best to shape this process to a level that best suits them. Because this awareness campaign we're, we're embarking on is to provide a safe space for them. So I feel like we should not relent on student involvement process as we continue to grow the campaign we are creating. And also advocacy on se- sexual and gender-based violence can never be enough. If you can take it to the smallest spaces in the language people understand, it will help us break power asymmetry in workspaces at university and it will help us build enlightenment for people because that way more people understand what can be termed as sexual and gender-based violence, especially if it is explained to them in the language they understand. Thank you to my guests, uh, Momio Gurotimi and Lewa Ejila, both very active feminists in the space. One of the things I'd like to take away from our discussion is that Technology complements what already exists. Mommy made that point very clearly, that technology complements what already exists. And for us to have at the back of our mind that silence is a patriarchal tool. And once we have these two points in mind, even if we don't go away with any other thing, then we know the reason we appreciate further the reason we need to break the culture of silence and why Gender Mobile and Kyo Museyadra Foundation, among other organizations, are using technology as a leverage to advance gender equality 
and break the culture of silence, particularly in relation to sexual gender-based violence in Nigeria. That's all for today's episode of Breaking the Culture of Silence Through Technology. Thanks for listening to us. And once again, thank you, Wumi and Lewa. Join us again next week when we talk about another topic that is closely related to gender justice. And we ask that you visit our whistleblowing platform, www.genderjustice.org.ng, to report cases of sexual harassment or any form of violation on the campuses of tertiary institutions in Nigeria. Thank you. To join the conversation about gender and accountability in Nigeria, visit www.partnersunited.org. To report any issues you have concerning gender-based violence in Nigeria, please visit www.genderjustice.org.ng. And for partnership and other inquiries, kindly contact us at info at partnersunited.org.